We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Monday here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com. That is the email address. D-E-A-C-E is how it's spelled. Say it, don't spray it. It's been a long time since I've said that because I'm 43. And last time I said that, I was 12. Uh, You can also, I was pretty immature for a 12-year-old. In fact, I'm pretty immature for a 43-year-old. Let's just be honest about that. You can also email the show, steve at stevedace.com. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Tomorrow, I'm going to be the special guest on C-SPAN's Washington Journal from 9.15 to 10 a.m. Eastern Time, talking the 2016 campaign. They asked me what questions I'd be willing to take. I said, the snottier the better, because I know they'll want to take some calls from listeners, so bring it. I don't care. You may fire when ready, right? So uh, nail it. I mean, let's let's go at it. Let's Just remember, though, I, I may not be like some of the other learned people that appear on C-SPAN's Washington Journal. You buzz my tower, I'm going Chicago way on you, just so you know that. Okay, Uh, Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We'll get to some weekend news and views here in a moment. But with uh, the last couple of weekends now dwindling down before the election, there's some things that need to be corrected. Because when this is over, I know a lot of you aren't going to like me. But you're not going to be able to say that I lied to you. And if you don't like me, I want it to be for the right reasons. Because there's going to be a long and undistinguished list of people who lied to you and deceived you this election when this is over. I'm going to have my own problems, but that won't be one of them. I'm not going to be on that list. So I'm going to open up the show tonight. I'm going to debunk some things that are being peddled amongst our people that simply are not true. And I just love you all too much to just let you believe lies. Number one, it is not true that in 1980, Reagan was losing all the polls. That's not true. Reagan led the polls in, 1980, in, the, in the 1980 election from March pretty much all the way through. There was one Gallup poll that came out in October. 
that had Carter ahead. And then the next week, they had the one and only debate that presidential cycle. Reagan looked into the camera and said, are you better off than you were four years ago? And the trend line that had existed in the seven months prior to the election and the polling resumed, and he won a landslide. So it is not true that Reagan was losing all the polls. That's, that's, either, that's either misinformed or it's a lie, and, and that depends on the motivation of the wielder. Some people are just saying this because they've heard it. They don't know that it's not true. Others are saying it knowing that it's not true. It is not true that Reagan was losing all the polls in 1980. Not to mention the fact we're a little bit different country demographically than we were in 1980, and the technology's a lot different, too. You could just strictly landline poll people in 1980. You can't do that now. Just one example. Hispanic vote, Hispanic vote was negligible in 1980. Might be 12% of the electorate here in 15 days. Maybe more. So... Even drawing comparisons, even if that were true, even if it were true that Reagan had been losing all the polls in 1980, demographically, we are not the same country, and the technology that is available to pollsters, and, and as well as to the general population and the way we communicate and are, are reachable, is a lot different than it was in 1980. So that would be a flawed analogy, even if it were stating a fact, and it's not. What it's stating is not true. Well, Steve, what about Brexit? Well, let's talk about Brexit. I think people are conflating the polling in Brexit with the odds makers in the prediction markets. The odds makers in the prediction markets until the last couple of days, when the, when the line began trending towards leave, the odds makers in the prediction markets were heavily favoring remain the entire time. However, the polling was not. It was actually pretty split down the stretch, and by the time we got to within the last three weeks or two weeks of the Brexit campaign, in fact, I think it was at the 16-day juncture before the Brexit vote, three of the four current polls at that juncture had leave winning. By the time we got to the last week, the polls, almost every poll that I could find, had leave winning. It was the betting markets all along that were overwhelmingly favoring Remain. But again, even if this lie were true, that the Brexit polls were all wrong, even if this lie were true, now we're talking about polling entirely other countries and drawing an analogy with polling this one. It's not the same. Furthermore, neither is polling a referendum the same as a a candidate election for an executive position. It's not the same. That's why you're looking at all these people with these historical forecast models throughout this year that told you that, that Hillary was going to lose. And one of the main reasons why is it is very difficult for a party in power that's had two consecutive presidential election victories to win a third in a row. It's rarely happened. Truman did it. After World War II, George H.W. Bush did it after Ronald Reagan. But most of the time throughout our history, that's been a very difficult trifecta to pull off. But the problem with these forecast models is they don't take into account what happens if one party nominates a candidate everybody hates and not just sort of your standard run-of-the-mill politician. That throws the entire matrix off. Well, when you're asking me, I'm not voting for Nigel Farage. I'm not voting against Nigel Farage. You're asking me to vote up and down on a concept. 
If we were voting up and down, would you like Hillary Clinton to be the next president of the United States? If it was an up and down referendum, gentlemen, what do you think the result of that vote would be? Nay. It'd be heavily nay. Heavily nay by at least eight to ten points. At least. Except that's and that's what a referendum is. It's an up and down vote on a concept or a policy. That is not the election. That's not what we're having. We're having an election between people. So I know a lot of you listening to this, you're thinking I'm going to go in and vote against Hillary Clinton. Most Americans won't think that way. Because there isn't a vote against button at the machine. There's not a vote against bubble. There's a list of names. Which of these people do you plan on voting for? So it's not a referendum. I remember we had a referendum here for a massive tax increase. It was the first time I'd ever mobilized my show when I first started on local radio. It was the first time I ever mobilized my show for political activism. I wanted to see if it could be done. And so the powers that be, the progressives in both parties had raised something like $700,000 to propagandize people here in the, in the Golden Circle County area where we live to vote to raise their taxes. The people that were against it had raised $1,700. They had $1,700 in my radio show. That's what they had. We went after that referendum. I had Democrat people I know who hated the idea of a sales tax increase because it's regressive. Sending me opposition research on the tax increase policy that we used to bury it. The night we took the referendum, it was 86 to 14. The tax increase failed. However, if those tax increases and tax raises or tax increases had said Republican or Democrat on it, think it would have been an 86 to 14 vote? Nope. Not a chance. Might have won. I don't know. You might have won. But it wasn't going to be 86 to 14, guys. Because the minute that the, the minute personalities get involved or party labels get involved, m- several people, depending on which side of the side of the line they're on, lose concepts. You know of, of the entire magic know, they, R against yes you? or magic D. Yes. they lose their they lose they lose consciousness of the issue at stake, and the issue at stake becomes the magic R or D. That is the difference between a candidate election and a referendum. So even again, even if the lie about Brexit were true, and it's not, but even if it were, a referendum is not the same as an election between candidates. Anywhere in the world, it's not the same. But particularly in a country that has partisan elections like we do, it's not the same. Not to mention you cannot compare the environment and demographics on the ground in Europe, in the United Kingdom specifically, with what we have in America. It's not the same. We're not the same country. Now, there's another one that is going around. I've had several of you ask me about this today. That the polls are rigged for this election because they've been wrong in the recent elections and they can't figure out who the uh, likely voters are going to be on November the 8th. Now, this one I've got keen interest in because this was something we followed this entire election cycle because it is true. Like in the Kentucky governor's race, they had Matt Bevin losing by nine points and he won by five. That's a heck of a swing. It is true that they've missed some recent elections. We will discuss that issue next. You're listening to Steve Dace. It's 
It's not about the next election. It's about the next generation. Steve Dace. All right, so we're debunking some polling myths using actual facts. So, A, no, it was not true. Reagan was losing all the polls in 1980. We went over that. B, no, it was not true that all the polls had Brexit winning. We went over that. So what about this conversation that this election is so volatile, therefore we can't trust that pollsters are screening the right electorate? So for those of you that don't know how polling works, you've, 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 you've heard of registered voters or likely voters. What usually happens once we get past Labor Day and the two parties have had their conventions and their messages are, are situated, the polls begin to, re, to switch from registered voters to likely voters. And the way they determine likely voters is they use voter files from, the, from usually the last election. Because do you know what is, what is usually the number one indicator of who's going to vote in this election? Who voted in the last one? Now, I didn't say only. Did I say only? No. Uh, no, I just checked the chase. I said number one. I didn't say only. I said number one. Okay? So if, if people are making the argument that we cannot trust these polls because we're going to have this huge flood of first-time voters, that's not an intellectually dishonest assertion. Okay, Uh, that if we had a huge flood of first time voters, for example, I think what was turnout in 2012, something like 53, 54, 55 percent. If we were going to have 65 percent turnout this time. okay. except there's nothing to indicate that's what we're going to have. For example, right now in North Carolina, Hillary Clinton is beating Barack Obama's early voting uh, performance in that state from back in 2012. However, the turnout of who, how many of those voters have turned in ballots is lower than it was in 2012. See my point? So in 2012, Barack Obama got about 59% of those early votes. Hillary Clinton right now is getting 62% of them. But, it, but in 2012, when 30 some odd, about 30% of those early ballots had been turned in by now, it's about 20% right now. So she's outperforming him in terms of percentage of the electorate, but the but the, the turnout of the electorate is lower. Which means all the diehards are coming out, but yes, but yes. other than that, that's that's exactly that's it, which is why you've said record the, the potential is for record low turnout. Yeah, I this think time you're. Around. I think, and I've said all along, I think we will have sub fifty percent turnout nationally. And another indication of why you've said for a long time that turning out your base in this particular election is going to be key. That's right. If if when you have candidates that are viewed this undesirable, the ability to identify who your voters are is going to be even more important. Organization will be even more important because you're looking at less spontaneous organic support. The reality is presidential election polling in this country has been pretty darn accurate for decades when you look at it. During the last election, we had all this talk of skewed polls. See, I learned a lot of this in the 2012 election because I bought into a lot of this stuff. So I learned how it really works. The exit. See, a lot of people are thinking that what happened with the 2000 election is the polling was off. No, it was not. The exit polling was off. The exit polling that had George W. Bush winning by four or five points and he lost the pri- he lost the popular vote. The exit polling in the 2000 general election was off. Exit polling is not the same as pre-election polling. The reality is the last time we had pre-election polling in this country dramatically miss the outcome of a presidential election was in its infancy 
when Dewey beat when he, when Truman beat Dewey. That was the last time, and it was in its infancy at that point. It's been pretty darn accurate. Since the 2000 exit polling fiasco in the 2004 and 2008 and 2012 presidential elections, the public polling has been over 94% accurate on what the actual results were in presidential elections. Now, when we came into this general election, to this primary, we had concerns about the polling because we had seen, for example, the Des Moines Register poll of the Iowa caucuses, and I had documented how many times it was wrong, and it was wrong again this year, too, because it had Trump winning, and he didn't. So what did we do after Iowa, Todd? You'll recall, because I gave this assignment to you. What we did is we took a look throughout the rest of the competitive portion of this primary, and we followed in the states where there was polling. Like Nobody polled Idaho, and that's where Cruz won, so we have no So that state wasn't polled. In the states where there was public polling prior to the primary or the caucus, we followed this result all the way until Indiana when the race was over between Cruz and Trump. And what did we find when we followed the public polling with Trump's percentage in these races? It was uncanny. They were within 0.91 points on average, which means sometimes there were four points off, sometimes they were right on, sometimes there were two two points off. But when you looked at the long average of the competitive contest in the Republican primary that were actually polled, the public polling was in 0.91 points of what Trump was actually going to get on that primary or caucus day. It was amazing. We were blown away when we looked at it. Here's why that matters. Primaries are much tougher to poll because the turnout is lower, which means the outcome is more unstable. Which means if you get like the Dave Bratt, Eric Cantor race, if you get one group with a B in its bonnet, like an immigration issue in that Virginia congressional primary a couple of years ago, you get one group with a B in its bonnet that doesn't normally show up in a primary, that means the voter file that I'm pulling off of is no good because a bunch of people who didn't vote, you know, voted. See, people think that conservatives want lower turnout primaries. No, we don't. We want higher turnout primaries. That's how Dave Bratt won. Dave Bratt didn't win because the turnout was low. He won because it was high. If the same people that pour out of their nursing homes that watch Fox News all day vote for the same lame Republicans, if it's the same people that vote, conservatives never win those primaries. You want to win high turnout ones. Would it, did, did, when, when, would it, didn't Ted Cruz win the highest turnout Iowa caucus of all time by like a 50% turnout increase? He did. He, he did. did. Yeah, conservatives want higher turnout in primaries because that means people who don't normally vote are coming out. But when primaries have such low turnout, it doesn't take too much to up to upset the apple cart. You're not your your voter file is not nearly as reliable that you're polling on. Plus, there's a lot more candidates, so you have you have a you have a smaller, more combustible electorate, and a more crowded field of candidates to still, despite that, nail Trump's polling as as precisely as they did, tells you that they've had a read on who his voters are the whole time. So now what you're asking me to believe, you're asking me to believe that the same public polling who was in 0.91 points on average per contest of what Trump's vote was in all of the in the entire GOP primary cycle, when primaries are more are are more combustible because they're lower turnout and they have more candidates to poll. That suddenly those exact same pollsters who were right the entire primary, you're now expecting me to believe that in a general election when they only have to get two candidates right, it's a much larger electorate, so therefore there's a much higher margin for error for them to get it right. Suddenly they're wrong? I'm a man of faith. I don't have that much faith.
There's, there's, there's analysis and then there's wish casting. Okay? There's analysis and then there's wish casting. I don't see how it's any way possible Donald Trump wins this presidential election if turnout is not at least 60% nationally. Because that he would have to, that would mean, that would have to, that would be what is necessary to create your scenario of all these first time voters. But keep in mind, we had a lot of first time, we had a lot of new voters in the Republican primary too. And yet the press was able to pick up on them in the primary with their polling, and now you're telling me they're all wrong? I doubt that. You're listening to Steve Dace. From the front lines of the battle for liberty, the Steve Day Show. By the way, on voter turnout, I just want to make sure I get my facts straight. We haven't had elections. In fact, there's only been two presidential elections ever in American history that were under 50% turnout, 1920 and 1924. Turnout in 2012 was 55%. 2000 and 1988, turnout was both at 50, right around 50%. That's where I think we're going to be right. We're going to be somewhere between 1920 and 24, and I and I believe 1988 and 2000, somewhere between 48 and 50 percent. I think for 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 there to be a flood of new voters voting for Trump that don't show up in the voter files of pollsters, you, you're going to need your turnout to be at least 60 percent. Because remember, they're working off a voter file from the 2012 election. It's 55 percent of the electorate. Right now, he's losing the real clear politics polling average. What is it, five or six points? Is that where he is in the RCP national average? I have average? it up here, 5.5. 5, yeah. Okay, so there's my math right there. 55% of the turnout was the voter file pollsters are working off of right now, which means when you account for a margin for error, three to four points either way, you're going to need turnout at least 60% nationally to think that you're going to overcome what the polling shows is going on because you've overcome their voter file methodology with a wave of new voters. Does that math make sense? Sure, yeah. Now, there was an article at 538 over the weekend, Aaron, that we're going to go to next in the Weekend News and Views that reinforces my contention that this is not going to be a high turnout election. Right. And uh, just to reset, uh, because we always have new listeners, uh, why we cite Nate Silver, 538. Dude's a pro, 2008. He called 49 out of 50 states correctly. 2012, he got 50 out of 50 correctly. Dude's a pro. I trust his analysis, and that's why we go to it so often. But you're right. There was this ABC News poll that came out out over the week that had Hillary Clinton winning by 12 points. That is a massive margin. And basically what Nate Silver tried to do today is, is make sense of that. And he wrote this piece on why Trump could depress voter turnout. Towards the end, he writes, You can easily see how the worst-case scenario is firmly on the table for Trump and Republican down-ballot candidates where the bottom falls out from GOP turnout. Consider, Trump is only getting... Only about 80% of the Republican vote, whereas candidates typically finish at about 90% of their party's vote or above. Furthermore, the Republicans missing from Trump's column uh, tend to be high-education, high-income voters who typically also have a high propensity to vote. Voters are increasingly convinced that Clinton will win this election and turnout can be lower in lopsided elections. 
Republicans. Especially when you're out there telling your voters it's rigged. I, 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 it's mm-hmm. already rigged anyway. Yeah. What, what incentive is there yes. to go out and vote? Republicans and Trump have gained substantial ground, uh, ground game deficits. They have a ground game deficit with Clinton and Democrats holding a four to one advantage in paid staffers. Trump's rhetoric about that the election is rigged. He, he says the exact same thing that you do uh, could distur- discourage turnout among his own voters. Trump's base is relatively small, especially if he underperforms among college-educated Republicans. Silver goes on to say this nightmare scenario for the GOP is that high-information Republican voters seeing Trump imploding and not necessarily having been happy with them as their nominee in the first place feel free to cast a protest vote at the top of the ticket. Meanwhile, lower-information Republicans uh, voters don't turn out at all given that Trump's rigging rhetoric could suppress their vote and that Republicans don't have field operations to pull them back in. That's how you could get a Clinton landslide like the one the ABC News poll describes, along with the Democratic Senate and possibly even, although it's a reach, a Democratic House. Well, in short, what Silver is using numbers to say is something we talked about on this show months ago. If we got to the last two weeks, you guys remember we talked about Mm -hmm. this, if we got to the last two weeks and it looked like Trump could not win, that's where you go from losing by five points to losing by eight, from losing by eight points to losing by ten. Is in the end, every a bunch of people say, you know what, Thanksgiving's coming up. I'm going to see my family members. If we're going to lose anyway, and politics comes up, I don't want to be the one guy on the wall making a fool out of myself at the Thanksgiving dinner. I just as soon forget about this whole dreary election anyway. So what's the point making a vote? I know I'll regret later if we're just going to lose anyway. So let's just, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, keep, I'm going to vote my conscience, so to speak. I think we're at that stage of the campaign, gentlemen. I, w- I would agree with that as well. Uh, the data, some of which uh, was uh, discussed just now with uh, Nate Silver, the, the data is bearing that out so far. And we've we've discussed this even as far back as the primaries, that Donald Trump has been struggling with what has typically been a very solid demo for Republicans. And that's college-educated uh, you know, white people. The Republican Party in the history of polling has never lost college-educated whites. And so we could see never, this. Never. Yeah, never lost them. Should have seen this coming from a long ways away. Well, aren't we, with these two having the highest negatives ever, and then you add on to that the fact that we were wondering during the primaries, was that the movement? Was that a bunch of new voters that never moved before? That has been debunked. Those are just uh, voters that normally vote, but they were voting earlier. They usually waited until the general. So yes. if, if What Todd is saying is the new voters that showed up in the Republican primary, when the numbers were looked at, the vast majority of them were not like people that just came and registered. Right. They were people that were either registered as Republicans or Democrats that voted reliably in general elections. They just hadn't voted in primaries uh, very active and i just bring that all up we're gonna have to throw out every single thing we know about polling if donald trump pulls this thing off i mean there there's just no there's no there there pointing at at him pulling off a miracle is there not if shred well this is something we'll talk about here when we come back i think he has one chance and 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 i say this is somebody who when um I was interviewed by Politico a couple of days ago. I said it's over. But there's some news that came out today that I think give him, gives him one chance. When I say one chance, I'm talking a chip in a chair at the World Series of Poker chance. Okay? You know what I mean? Meaning that I can just keep doubling up when I go all in on every hand. And if I do it 50 times in a row, I eventually win. But it's, but, but it's a chance. It's a dumb and dumber chance. But it's a chance. And we'll talk about that next. 
listening to Steve Dace. The Sleeping Giants Alarm Clock, Steve Dace. All right, so time for the Hail Mary, right? Time for the Hail Mary. There, there is a Hail Mary pass option, Aaron, for Trump that presented itself this weekend. Now, and, and when I say Hail Mary, by the way, this isn't Aaron Rodgers or Doug Flutie throwing it. All right, you're, you're, and you're not, you're not throwing it from midfield. This is when, you know, this is the Cordell Stewart Hail Mary, where you're throwing it from the 35-yard line. And you got to trust, first of all, that you had a quarterback that you can even get it to the end zone from there to begin with, let alone that it's going to be caught. Okay, so we're talking a Hail Mary that already has a degree of difficulty, but, 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 uh, but one that required, that has even more so. But there is a Hail Mary pass out there because of news that came down earlier today. That's right. This is from USA Today. Federal regulators opened the federal exchange healthcare.gov for consumers to browse for plans on Monday as they announced that rates will be up 25% for the plans for which the tax subsidies are calculated. The Department of Health and Human Services also warned that more than one in five consumers using the site will only have one insurer from which to choose coverage. As concerns grow about much higher rates in many states, officials emphasize that the vast majority of people shopping on healthcare.gov will pay less than $100 a month for premiums when tax credits are included. More than 70% of people will pay less than $75 a month after tax, uh, tax credits. It's according to them. Healthcare.gov handles individual insurance sales for those who live in the 38 states that don't have their own exchanges. The second uh, lowest cost silver plan on the exchanges is the benchmark plan that regulators base tax credits on. That rate is up 25% which is also the expected overall increase in 2017. All right, here's your Hail Mary pass. All right. I want to give you some numbers. Tell me what you think this is. Plus 9, plus 7, plus 17, plus 8, plus 15, plus 11, plus 1, plus 2, plus 7, plus 2, plus 7, plus 7, plus 7. What do you think that is? Sounds like the current uh, last couple weeks of presidential polling we've seen. Except, you know what I just gave you? The last two weeks of polling in the 2013 Virginia governor's race. Now, why am I going to the 2013 Virginia governor's race? Final real clear politics polling average in the Virginia governor's race had Terry McAuliffe beating Ken Cuccinelli by six points. Aaron, what did you say today? The real clear politics polling average is in, in on, on Hillary Clinton. race, it's 5.5. All right, 5.5. What is it head-to-head? Uh, let, me, uh, let me look that up real quick. All right, because... If you're seeing the third party candidates other than Evan McMullen are imploding. I mean, right. not you're seeing Gary Johnson now in low single digits. OK, so apparently the Libertarian Party strategy it's, of let's go get Bernie Sanders voters isn't going to work. It's a half point less five points. In head OK. Head. All right. So within a point of what the margin for of what the what the RCP average here was in Virginia. Now, if you go back to that Virginia race now, I know Ken Cuccinelli. I like Ken Cuccinelli. I am not comparing Ken Cuccinelli's um, makeup, scouting report, composite as a candidate with Donald Trump's. All right, I'm not. I'm not drawing a moral equivalency. 
All right, because they're not the same. Cuccinelli did not lose because of scandal, likability ratings in the toilet. Nothing like what we're seeing in this race. So while the two men are dramatically different, I mean, Cuccinelli is a straight-laced homeschooling Catholic, okay? And then there's Trump. Uh, They're not the same. These guys aren't the same at all. The circumstances are somewhat similar in that with with about three weeks to go, if you go back and look at the articles in mid-October in 2013, all the same stuff being said about the races over in Virginia, people were saying, or they're saying now about the presidency, they were saying about the race in Virginia at this juncture then. At the end of that race, Cuccinelli decided, screw it, I'm going to stop trying to sound like Mitt Romney because that's not who I am anyway, besides Romney lost my state. I'm going to do what made me famous when Huckabee put me on Fox to question the 2012 presidential candidates on his on his Obamacare town hall. And a bunch of people watched that and said, hey, can we get that guy to run instead of the presidential candidates we have? You guys remember that town hall they had on Fox? And that's when Ken Cuccinelli's star was born that day, right? So he just said, you know what? Screw it. I'm not listening to consultants. I'm not listening to the smart set. I'm just, I'm going to do what I'm best at. Total, complete evisceration of Obamacare. And at the very least, these last few weeks, I'm going down swinging about something I actually care about. He led that race on election night until the last 2% of precincts were reporting in in the state. And then he lost by two and a half points. He nearly outperformed the RCP average by four points in his race. How did he do it? He took the biggest weakness that Democrats have, Obamacare, and he just opened a can on it. It was all he talked about. He might as well have changed his name. My name's Ken Obamacare. What's your name? I mean, everything he talked about. The entire last few weeks were a referendum on Obamacare. It was his entire campaign. And by doing that, by touching on, uh, sometimes I think terms... I think the term populism, I think we have to be careful about universally decrying it. In general, populism is a bad idea because it means mob insurrection, mob rule. But when I say populist issue, I mean an issue that's hitting people at their kitchen tables. Okay? Just regular folks. And he took a lot of regular folks that that were not turned on by that gubernatorial election. And even though Terry McAuliffe actually got a higher percentage of the black vote in Virginia than Barack Obama did in 2012? He barely won that seat. Because Cuccinelli touched on a zeitgeist at the end. Stuck to a message that he knew on an issue that mattered that drove people who at that point in the election were dispirited and not interested in voting. And drove them to the polls. And that's how he, even though the all, the outcome wasn't was, was the same... It was much closer than what was expected. To put it in a, in, in a football lingo, Terry McAuliffe didn't cover the spread. Okay, this is what if this is the only chance I believe Trump has the last fifteen days, and he's not. And he's we're close to the position as a candidate Kitchenelli was in. But the last fifteen days is to make his entire candidacy about Obamacare. It's the only thing or person he talks about is Obamacare. In the hopes that he's going to take those dispirited voters that Nate Silver was just talking about and motivate them now to vote for him instead of staying home or splitting their ticket. And that's the only Hail Mary pass option he has. 
You're listening to Steve Dace. Meet your worst nightmare. I'm having these dreams, but I'm scared. Steve Dace. All right, one more story from over the weekend that again shows why it has been difficult for the Trump campaign to stay on a message that can actually win against such a vulnerable candidate. Because even though we have chosen this campaign, Aaron, to forget this, The reality is character matters. Really? And when you have a lack of character and discipline in your personal life, sooner or later it would spill over. It will spill over to your professional one. That's right. Page six has exclusively learned. That's the New York Post, by the way, owned by Rupert Murdoch, for Mm -hmm. those who don't know. Has exclusively learned that a trio of senior Trump advisors was fixated on a different type of poll the night before Trump's final debate with Clinton last week in Vegas. Sources said the Trump campaign senior communications advisor Jason Miller, along with female colleagues including senior advisor in circuit A.J. Delgado and deputy communications director Jessica Ditto, went with several members of the media from networks including CNN, NBC, and ABC. The two networks Trump complains are the most biased against him, CNN and NBC. You betcha. To uh, Sapphire Las Vegas Strip Club. Before the stri- it's a strip club before the big night, uh, the, the final group- debate. Yeah, before the big night of the final debate, uh, the group that went out with uh, Trump aides included CNN producer Noah Gray, NBC News reporter Anthony Terrell, and a cameraman from ABC News, according to those sources. Before the field trip with the media, Jason Miller tweeted, "Quote: Yet more evidence of a media rigged election, with a link about WikiLeaks and Clinton." <laughs> Todd, your thoughts. Uh, this is this election in microcosm. Isn't right it, here. though? Isn't it, though? You, you, you've heard me draw the analogy of Republicans and Democrats. When I was between pro, in pro wrestling, when I was a kid, I thought it was real, man. I was, a, I, was a, I, I was a real American. I had the wrestling album, dude. I watched the cartoons on Saturdays. I was a Hulkamaniac, right? And I really tried to emulate Ric Flair's. Whoa, I, I still can't do it. And the figure four leg lock. I thought it was real. Then one day I get up and I read the Grand Rapids Press sports section. I see three guys got arrested last night for, for pot possession and driving while intoxicated. And I'm like, I don't know these three guys. Why are they in the sports section? And it turns out they, that it, later in the story it says, also known as Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Nikolai Volkov, and the Iron Sheik. <laughs> and I'm like, this isn't real. Childhood ruined. I mean, I thought Hacksaw Jim Duggan was really fighting for America. I thought Nikolai Volkov really was an emissary of the Kremlin, and the Iron Sheik really had come from Iran. This isn't real? No, it's not. It's not real. Just as their claims of rigged elections and stuff, it's not real, guys. This is done to manipulate you. They're out partying like it's 1999 at a strip club with the exact same media entities they're complaining about. The only thing that would make this better is if the strip club was called Lot's House and Smod finally had enough. (laughs) Or maybe it was called Trump Tower. You're listening to Steve Dace.
are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with another hour here of the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Hour two on a Monday night. That means we welcome back our good friend Bob Vanderplatz from the Family Leader. Bob, how are you? I'm doing very well. Good to see you. Bob, I want to begin our conversation this week by sharing with you an email I received from a listener recently. Because I think this email is just one of a myriad of examples I have received in the last few weeks as to to my concern about and it's and this election is just exacerbating it because it's the moment we're in at this time. But that the, the church overall retreating from its moral obligation to a culture and then when it does engage, does so hypocritically. Uh, does so contrary to its stated mission. This is an email from a a young man named Daniel Sharman. And he says, I'm a millennial who just turned 19. Also, I've just started studying philosophy at Cambridge University. Wasn't Cambridge where Tolkien met met, uh, a guy named Clyde Staples Lewis? Wasn't that at Cambridge? Or was that at Oxford? I thought it was, was at Oxford. Was that at Oxford? Okay. He says, I am an unbeliever, but after listening to your show for several months and also reading about Christianity, I've gone from God-hater to someone who believes we can know whether God is real or not by means of reflection and evidence. I've been gradually more and more convinced about Christianity, largely through reading people like Russell Kirk, hearing your show, and watching people like Bishop Barron in the media. As a result, I decided to go to a discussion group about faith and religion hosted by the college dean, a Church of England reverend. I was truly shocked at what happened. It was an informal setting, and we gathered around in a group. He gave a half-hour preamble where he held three books. These were all sociological texts regarding religion. And if anyone had walked in, they would have believed the reverend and the Christians present worshipped so, or the Christians present worshipped sociology as their creed, and venerated Durkheim and Weber as their prophets. I found this all rather odd. This total absence of the Bible, no singular reference to Christianity, but merely to religion as an interpretive crutch for helping give meaning to humans, sort of a self-centered form of spiritualism. I found it all so distasteful. I asked the reverend, once he had finished, how can you view religions pluralistically? Either Christianity is true or it is not. His response was more sociology, how he found a more general truthfulness in Christianity, but it was more one religion against many, and so it went on. The most shocking part is this. After he answered many questions by defending religion as a sociological concept and not Christianity, and attacking evangelicals in the U.S. for believing in heaven and hell, I I wish that were actually still true, but we'll go with it. And that people need to be told about Christianity, claiming it wasn't part of his spiritual understanding, I asked him again, then why are you even a Christian? 
Either Christ rose from the dead or he did not. And this reminds me of an exchange that the late atheist Christopher Hitchens had during his many debates towards the end of his life with Douglas Wilson, uh, the great evangelical pastor from Moscow, Idaho, who I'm a huge fan of. And he has the greatest name for a blog ever, blog and may blog, greatest name ever. What I love here, Steve, I'm just going to interrupt real quick, is that this young man says he's being mentored a little bit by listening to you on the radio. Mm -hmm. What he just said there could have been the words coming right out of your mouth. For better or for worse. Well, no, I think it was really good. Okay. And, and, and this woman who claimed to be a, quote, liberal Christian, a tolerant Christian, had been reading these exchanges going back and forth between Douglas Wilson and Christopher Hitchens in these debates they were having about atheism and faith. And so she wrote Christopher Hitchens this note that said, you know what? I, I am a Christian, but I, I'm with you. I don't, you know, we don't have to believe this stuff that the Bible is true or a virgin birth or any of these things. And Christopher Hitchens wrote this woman back a scathing rebuke, and he said, Ma'am, with all due respect, if you do not believe in any of the creeds of Christianity, the infallibility of God's word, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he was born of a virgin in order to obtain a, a sinless life to pay atonement for the sins of mankind, he just went on rebuking her. And he concluded with this, then might I suggest you may be many things, many of them even good, but none of them are Christian. Mm. And this is what you're hearing here. Mm-hmm. This young man is saying, then why are you even a Christian? Either Christ rose from the dead or he did not, right? He writes to me, Steve, I kid you not. His response was that the resurrection was not necessary to his faith, that it was open to interpretation. It is more about Jesus, the man, etc., and not necessary for his spiritual understanding of universe, which humans need to interpret. This, even as a non-believer, had kind of a visceral, disgusting effect on me. Hearing it come from a man of the cloth, I expected more. I asked well, him, where, "Where's your standard?" Exactly, is what he's saying. I asked him why he didn't worship any dead man pulled from a river. Uh, he gave me some sociological answer about finding truth in religion re- revealed through lived spiritual religion, and this is why he was a Christian. It was so odd, I, the non-believer, felt like Isaiah decrying the worshipers of wood amongst a group of supposedly devout Christians. I clearly have a much easier time believing in the possibility of the resurrection than this Church of England reverend at Cambridge. Either way, I listened to your show again, the seriousness with which you profess your faith, and my interest was at least rekindled. Yours sincerely, Daniel Sharman. Now here is my fear is up until this time, it has been very obvious in our culture that these radical humanistic distortions for my own personal socioeconomic political gain of the faith, with the exception of clear heresies like the prosperity gospel hacks that we see, for the most part, though, these have largely come from the left in our culture, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have pointed out that what what men like Jim Wallace are peddling is not Christianity, He's peddling Marxism. What men like Tony Campolo and Ron Sider are peddling is not Christianity. It's Marxism. I'm not saying they're terrible human beings. I'm just saying they're Marxists. That's all. My fear, though, is once this plum of, you know, this is the beauty of, of, or really the nihilism, I should say, of progressivism. Once a swarm of locusts is done consuming one crop, Bob, It doesn't just look at one another and say, we're full now, we're satiated, let's fly south for the winter. Let's go get another crop. They go to the next crop. 
Next field. And now what we are seeing is we are seeing the same bastardizations, the same kinds of distortions for socioeconomic or political and humanistic advantage that we have often decried from the left. We have seen these sprout up, sprout up like a plague on the right in this election. And this is my fear. This is why, pardon me, I, I, when I've preached at my own church, <coughs> excuse me, I'm even getting choked up about this. I'm so worked up about it. I literally said to my own, to the church where I, I, I helped to teach on Sundays, I looked at the people there and I said, look around. And you know what you don't see a lot in this church right here? Or in a lot of other Bible-believing churches across the country, you know what you don't see? Millennials. Young people. Where are the young people? And I don't care what business you're in, whether your business is 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 the gospel, whether your business is philanthropy, like what you do, or activism, whether your business is a radio show or selling widgets. If you if you aren't grooming a new generation of clientele, because you know what the one thing that your existing clientele all have in common, they will die. They will all die. You uh, will be extinct as well. Yes, you will be extinct as well, because the one thing that is certain in this world is the death rate is a hundred percent. Okay, so even God himself died. All mm-hmm. right. That's why we celebrate resurrection. <laughs> okay. How do you re- how do you get resurrected? What do you gotta do before you get resurrected? Die. Die. All right. So everybody dies. If you can't replicate yourself in the oncoming generation, you are yourself cannibalizing at best, extincting at worst. And my fear is that now we are saying to a bunch of Aaron's generation, these are the future customers of America here. We are saying to them, we're going to peddle pseudo-capitalism, which isn't really capitalism. It's really cronyism. We're going to peddle our own partisan hypocrisy, political humanism. We're going to peddle the same stuff the Campolo Ciders and Wallaces of the world have been peddling for since the 60s. We're now going to peddle it from our our vantage point with just better Bible verses. And that's exactly how we're going to lose everybody like him, Bob. And that has been my number one fear in this election is the price of victory is Pyrrhic, cutting off our nose despite our face, winning an election but losing a generation. First of all, very well said, and kudos to you for getting an email like that. And I think what this young man is is pointing out, and I say it all the time in my speeches, you can fool a fool, you can con a con, but you cannot kid a kid. What this millennial wants, what this young man wants, they want authenticity. Mm-hmm. Whether it's from the Cambridge professor or whether it's from the political class uh, in the United States of America, what they want to know is, do you really believe what you believe to be really real? Or does it change when circumstances change? Young men and young women today all over the place, they want authenticity. I want to go to this authenticity argument when we come back. All right. That's where exactly where I want to pick this conversation up here next. Stay tuned. You're listening to Steve Dace. Power of Principles, Steve Dace. All right, back here with Bob Vanderplatz from The Family Leader. So, you talked about the next generation wanting authenticity. 
my experience, and Aaron, feel free to chime in as the millennial representative here on the show. My, my experience at, is that the well, what mo- is Aaron nineteen? <laughs> a little bit older. <laughs> uh, but my experience is millennials view authenticity as your willingness to struggle or uh, to suffer for what you believe in. So. If you want to know how we helped guys like Rob Bell and Campolo Insider sell a whole bunch of heretical books to our kids, here's what we did. <clears throat> Pardon me. We took our kids to these pottery barns, suburban megachurches where nothing gets taught, and it, there's, we're always doing some funding campaign to build something for somebody. But we're never doing anything for anybody else. It's just for ourselves, right? So we took our kids to these pottery barn churches out in the suburbs, Everybody's got a Bush Cheney sticker on the back of their bumper of their SUV, uh, which has too large of a carbon footprint, of course. (coughs) Pardon me. Right next to the Jesus fish. All right. Give me one second here. You bet. I'm following you, which is a very good thing. And um, and the first thing we have to point out, not all the large suburban churches are that way, but... If we're going to stereotype, I understand where you're going. I'm making a generalization. Yes. Okay. Um, And so... They never see this ministry do something for somebody other than themselves. When I'm talking about the suburban megachurch where no, they don't do anything except for themselves. It's a building fund. It's a send the pastor on the vacation fund. It's, it's our own missionary fund, but we're never actually doing something for any other church's missionaries. We're not actually showing up at any you know, cross-ministry meetings. We're not actually doing something for the less fortunate in any other ministry or any part of our city. Mm. Everything's internalized for ourselves. I know I went to one of these churches. We, okay? we, we missed the go part of the yes. Great Commission. Yes, yes. And so what ends up happening is we then send said uh, young, youngster to college. And let's just use Iowa State here because it's in our backyard. <coughs> Pardon me. And they show up at Hector Avalos' religious studies class for the first day, who's the atheist religious studies professor at Iowa State. And he holds up the Bible first day of class and says, by the end of this semester, you're not going to believe this anymore. It's total bunk. Just like in the movie God's Not Dead, mm-hmm. they didn't make that part up that actually happens in classrooms. And you still tracking with me I here, am, Aaron? Yes. And the way that he comes at us is, these people are hypocrites. They don't really believe any of this stuff. They don't help anybody. When was the last time you saw your parents working in a soup kitchen? When was the last time you saw... All they want to do is just condemn these poor homosexuals who just want to love each other. Are you still tracking with me? I am. So then they show up, and then your kids are confused, and they're like, well, this goes against everything I was raised by. This, 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 I don't know if I agree with this either. There must be some happy medium in between. So they show up at the campus youth ministry, which is usually just the campus social justice ministry. And so what ends up happening is we become, our, our, our own suburban megachurch palaces, they become all too often the greatest recruitment tool for Cider, Campolo, Bell, and this entire scam. We create their next batch of recruits because they teach them that their willingness to forego the trappings of, of the things their parents worked their entire lives to provide for them, you know, the old white liberal guilt, their willingness to let these things go. Their willingness to, to, to live piously, to show that they're actually willing to sacrifice for something that they believe in, your young people see that sacrificing and, and suffering as authenticity. 
And so they say, you know what? These people at least really believe what they're saying, even if I'm not sure I agree with it, so I'm going with them. And if you want to know why in the last two presidential election cycles, two nearly 80-year-old men who have literally nothing in common other than age, Bernie Sanders and Ron Paul, by far did the best job in bringing millennial voters into their party's fold in the primary. Because of authenticity. Because they were viewed as authentic. They were willing to take on the scorn for their belief systems. They were willing to be mocked. Most, most millennials that think they're libertarians aren't. They don't know what it means. They've never read an Ayn Rand book. They don't know what classical liberalism is. They just admired Ron Paul's moxie. And most millennials that think they're socialists aren't. They aren't alive to know what the Soviet Union really was like and really did to people. They've never really studied it. They've not read Das Kapital or, or, or the Communist Manifesto. They just admired Bernie Sanders' chutzpah. See my point? I totally our see your unwillingness point. To, our unwillingness to suffer for what we believe in. Our unwillingness to sacrifice for what we believe in, but instead to cut corners in order to win and call it pragmatism. This is the this is the millennial repellent. This is and which is ironic because the number one tool Christianity had to spread throughout the Roman Empire in the first, second, and third centuries, break Constantine was what? Our willingness to suffer. The people showed up at the Colosseum in Rome and just wondered, back when my lions were good, they never lost. They won every Sunday, Bob. People should, they wondered, why are these Christians just showing up to get mauled by the lions every Sunday? To be hung why, upside down. Why do, yes, why do they do this? What is driving this? Who would knowingly suffer like this? Why would they forego the things of this world to suffer like this? We aren't willing to do that. Instead, we will take Bible verses and stories of Cyrus and Nebuchadnezzar are vicious, evil dictators, and we will think it's complimentary to apply them to Donald Trump and our other failed political candidates. We'll call King David, who was so immoral he drove his, his kingdom into a civil war, and we will say that's the model of who we want in a leader. No, the hero of those stories is not David, is not Cyrus, is not Samson, Nebuchadnezzar, or Rahab. The hero is God. Because God has the authority to use such people. We don't have that authority. That's why we are called to be holy as he is holy. We are screwing this up. We have it totally backwards. We are helping the left and heretics recruit our own children against us. Aaron, tell me I'm wrong. You are not wrong. And I think another part of this is that my generation was raised by a generation of people who we're seeing uh, the CD underbelly of this um, election cycle want validation. I think that's also systemic in my generation. And when people uh, my age see people who actually stand up for what they believe in, walk the walk, talk the talk, they have an excuse. They have an excuse to listen to that person, to see what they have to say, an excuse to agree with them or support them. Right now, what excuse when millennials see um, people like Jerry Falwell and people like Robert Jeffress and go on down the list, Mike Huckabee, what do people, what do people my age, what excuse do they have to come and listen to what we have to say. What excuse is there? What excuse is there? See, I think what you're going to, Steve, is a couple things that enter my mind. One is they want to know where's the line in the sand. Yes. What well, where's the line? In the sand? What hill are you willing to die? Because if, if 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 you're going to tell these two guys who just love each other they can't get yeah. married, you're going to tell yeah. them when do you say no to yourself? When does yeah. someone say no to you? And you that, only get to say no to other people. No and, one ever says no to you. And that's the other thing about Sanders and Ron Paul. It was they were willing to sacrifice for the greater good, not just for personal good. 
I mean, that's a, that's a different connotation. Or at least that's the perception. That, that, that's, that's what the kids pick yeah. up, though. You know, they're willing to do that for the greater good, not for the personal good. And you know what, guys? This goes beyond, are you going to vote for Donald Trump? Or are you going to vote for Hillary Clinton? Or are you going to vote for somebody in between? What they want is authenticity. Where is the standard? And are you willing to apply it? Are you willing to hold accountable, regardless of the party, regardless of the candidate? And it, if you, we've talked about it on the show before. If you make a practical argument, they can live with that as long as the journey reflects what you're truly talking about. This is the first fully postmodern generation in American history. They have been, they, they, they've never been taught absolutes. Therefore, they're going to learn your absolutes by your character and your integrity. Remember that. You're listening to Steve Dace. Don't mind us. There's only the future of the country at stake. You're listening to Steve Dace. Here is my fear, Bob Vanderplatz of the Family Leader. My fear. My, my, my fear is that we are becoming the alter egos of the heretics on the left. So the heretics on the left just simply bastardize some Bible verses. Jesus is Che Guevara, is not the savior of the, and the king of the universe. Or as he refers to himself in, Revela- in the book of Revelation, the ruler of God's creation. That's not who he is. He's Che Guevara in first century hippie garb. And there's a lot of roads. Yes, there's a lot of roads. And he's here to, he was here to stop the, he was here to stop just, uh, you know, uh, social um, uh, inequality. Okay, that we're going to replace that social justice warrior language with Jesus waves the American flag. Jesus had a gun rack Uh, that we're going to just become sort of the alter egos with, you know, rally around the flag of what we see on the left. That's not that is not the antidote. Fox News is not the antidote to what's that what the left has done to our heritage in this culture. The gospel is what you're what, 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 and your email backs it up. Yes. Your email backs what, that. What up. we are doing by bastardizing our own belief system by cannibalizing it in order to defend indefensible things is not the all. It's not the opposite of what the left is doing. It's the two sides of the same coin. That's why there's so much friction between us and them when we do it because we're two parasites. Warring over the or symbiotes warring over the same host. We're both fighting over who, the same heresy. It just has a different name. The antidote is the gospel. Now, here's what I don't mean, because your little millennial snowflake friends, Aaron, are going to have to also learn. In this world, you have many troubles. In this world, you will not always get to make the perfect choice. In this world, you will have to sometimes just do the best that you can do, because this is not a world that guarantees an equality of outcomes. It barely, it barely, even under our constitution with the military, can even guarantee and equality of opportunities because it's a fallen world. It is a sinful world. And when you are sometimes stuck between two rocks in this hard place of sinners, you don't get to make the perfect choice. So they should be very careful about judging their elders who are choosing uh, between two imperfect vessels from, from, uh, from, uh, from the 20-yard line or from the press box or from the back seat because they haven't seen really what this world is capable of, maybe to the extent that they have. So it, it works the other way as well. So, yes, I'm very disappointed to see our elders completely distort, in, all, in too many cases, Bob, who we are as a people and what we claim to represent for a political, for a political election that, as Ravi Zacharias says, is, is choosing who rules over us for a season. 
On the other hand, we cannot allow the arrogancy of youth either and just assume that that 23-year-old people really have all the answers and know how the world works when they haven't gotten married, they haven't built a business, they haven't had any kids, they haven't owned a home, haven't done a damn thing outside of whatever was best for them, like the very suburban megachurches they rebelled against when they went to college. Irony of ironies, Bob Vanderplotz. I tell you what, you are ramped up. I, I love listening to you. It fits the message I just gave in in our uh, in Kansas City last week Thursday night. I said, "Think bigger. Where is our hope? Our hope is not in a candidate. Our hope is not into a party. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. So let that be your standard. And again, if you make the practical decision, if you line up the practical decision of saying Donald Trump is my guy, I can I can be okay with that. But don't reduce your standards to fit the narrative that you want to have have be there. And so what we say is think bigger if it's right in with our honoring God campaign. The civil rights struggle was one because people poured out of our churches listening to ministers like Martin Luther King Jr. preach civil disobedience through suffering. So they modeled it. And the suffering they were willing to endure for their cause changed a people. A lot of white folks living in the Northeast and the Midwest after watching Walter Cronkite and John Chancellor every night back in the day, called their congressman up and said, make that stop. I don't want to have those conversations at the dinner table with my kids anymore. I want that to end tomorrow. And you know what that is? That's authenticity. Yes. When when MLK Jr. was saying, look at this, I'm willing to go to jail. Best thing, probably the best thing Martin Luther King Jr. ever wrote was called Letter from a Birmingham Jail. jail. Many of the best moments in the history of Christendom occurred in jail. Many, like of the great, many of the greatest leaders we've ever had prisoned. Paul wrote some of the best stuff he ever wrote under house arrest. Uh, I mean, the second greatest nonfiction bestseller of all time to the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress. Where did John Bunyan write that? Scratch that on the walls of a prison cell. All right, so the willingness for us to suffer for what we believe. How come the same liberals who reject us when we come at them talking about abortion politically will quote Mother Teresa, who was a staunch pro-life advocate and considered abortion the greatest plague of mankind's current era? Why? Because they saw her willing to suffer. For what she believes. Yes. Where is the authenticity? More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. to fight is now always the Steve Day Show. All right, so Bob Vanderplotz from The Family Leader, we now come to the application of what I'm fired up about. And I, I, I think maybe tonight I said better than I've been able to say it up until this point, everything I've been trying to say for the last six months. Well, you did it really well, and I think everybody should get a podcast of that, share that podcast. I thought you you're right on the mark. And, and really what it wasn't, Steve, you were not bashing Trump. You weren't bashing Hillary. You're calling on the church to be the church is what you're I saying. Mean, and the authenticity of the church. Listen, the reason David repents is it's not because David got it. The Bible doesn't say David got up by himself and felt really bad about hitting it with Bathsheba. It's because a prophet with the Holy Spirit came to him and said, thou art the man. 
We, it, it's not the book of Xerxes. It's the book of Nehemiah. Mm-hmm. The reason Xerxes sends the Jews back to back to the Holy Land is because Nehemiah, with the Holy Spirit, comes to Xerxes. It's not the book of Nebuchadnezzar. It's the book of Daniel. The reason Nebuchadnezzar proclaims the greatness of God Daniel. is because Daniel, empowered, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Daniel's interprets God. his dream. Yes. All right, Darius, Darius is not a believer. He proclaims the majesty of God because he, wa- he watches Daniel the next morning walk out of the lion's den, right? See, the problem with Donald Trump as a candidate for us, or Hillary Clinton too for that matter, for anybody really, it's, it's the lack of godly counsel around them even, even just as much as it is their own lack of personal pie, religious orthodoxy. I mean, when, when Trump is, is surrounded by Rudy Giuliani, Breitbart, um, and and Newt Gingrich, as opposed to some of your buddies, it's if some of your buddies, the Dobsons in the, of the world, if they were actually part of the inner sanctum instead of instead of instead of jostling for a seat at the table, but if they were actually the ones giving the advice and holding him accountable for the last six months, do you think we would have seen a different campaign if the Holy Spirit was actually in there, Bob? Do you think we would have seen different things? Well, I really do. Because I do. And I think think the same thing is true of the Hillary campaign, for that matter. And I think the church would look different. I think that email that you would get would even be different in regards to this whole, whole election. Here's the thing, Steve. You can be surrounded by a bunch of Nathans, but Nathan still had to say it. Yes. He still had to say it to David. He still had to hold him accountable. He had to risk a lot. To, you know, to David, his Daniel buddy, had to look at Nebuchadnezzar's son and say, "Mene, yeah. Mene, take a laparson. You've yeah. been weighed, measured, and found wanting." He still had to say it. So, so what we've done here, Steve, at the family leader, instead of saying, "You know, we're we're, we're not going to be pointing fingers at everybody," but we're, we're asking people to engage in two different initiatives. And what's amazing about this is we got national partners all over the country engaging in this. We're playing in a multitude of states. We're putting a lot of resources behind this thing. The first thing we tell people to do is pray. And we tie them into our If 714 initiative, which is now called Focus for 40 for the election. You can find this at thefamilyleader.com. You sign up, you download the app, and when you download the app, you'll be reminded two times a day about how to pray for this upcoming election. Today's, as a matter of fact, tonight's, before I came in here, was that the that Israel would turn back. It would turn back and yield itself to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It, they're, they're short, but they're inspirational, saying, let's be united in prayer. The other one is what we call Honoring God 2016. We do not tell anybody to say, okay, this is who you're going to vote for. This is the party you're going to vote for. But we believe it's unacceptable for the church to remain in the pews. How are you going to be a Nathan to the to a David if you don't even show up in the game? You need to be the Nathan of a David. You need to be the prophetic voice. And what we're saying is go into it prayerfully, go into it carefully, think bigger, who do you serve? And what is hold the standards of the Scripture? Hold hold the God that you serve up high. His name is above each and every other name. And then when you make that practical reason, when you're settled in that decision, at least don't compromise yourself for the testimony of the gospel in the process. Well, everything we've talked about here this evening, what you're trying to do now is the application of this. It definitely is. How are you, how are you going to go out there and navigate these waters? We're not saying it's easy. All right. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Uh, but it is necessary. And I think that's the key is how are you effective without losing your soul in the process? See, and everybody would agree. There's a lot at stake in this election, a lot at stake. I mean, not only is the, the presidency, but the U.S. Senate, the U.S. House, you got state senators, you got governorships, you got a lot of things at stake here. 
So what we're saying is, A, make sure you're in the arena. Leave, leave the pew and get into the arena. Make sure you are bathed in prayer. Because I believe if you pray it, you, you will be led in the right way. But then, two is honor God by a stewardship of your vote. And, and so we're asking the church to show up. Uh, we're putting a lot of resources, I said, behind this, uh, not only in Iowa, but in other key states as well. Uh, we, we think it's a great opportunity for the church to be the church. Is it too late? Thefamilyleader.com, by the way. Go to thefamilyleader.com to get all that stuff. Is it too late for the, the... No, it's never too late for the church to be the church. Matter of fact, I love it when Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That comment right there, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that is an offensive comment. The church needs to be on offense, not on defense. We have to stop running away and say, we're getting beat, we're getting beat, we're losing, we're losing, we're losing. No, the church is the hope of the world. It's not too late at all. If I may, though, it's almost certainly too late for this current generation. We're planning the seeds for future generations. Doesn't it feel, Bob, like we're wandering, we're preparing to wander 40 years in the desert and perhaps have been wandering for quite some time? Yeah, but what I'm seeing, Todd, and that's a great comment, but what I'm seeing is that there is a remnant rising up. I mean, there's a remnant, right? And the reason the remnant's rising up because of the email that Steve read earlier, because they're looking for authenticity. And we're seeing seeds of revival all over the place. I think what they're not... There's a lot of the people yet who have not bent their knee. They have not knelt down to Baal yet. I think, though, we're going to probably have to come to grips with the fact that it may not look the way it looked in previous generations. There may not be interest in 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 a reboot of the old religious right. It, there, well, both know, can be happening at the same time. Yeah, we can be yes. wandering in the desert oh, and have the remnant. It, yeah. and when you because s- you're wandering in the desert uh-huh. to prepare yourselves to be to to walk into the Holy Land yeah. as a remnant. In that whole line about when you are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, it doesn't say if you are; it says when you are. Right. And so, I mean, that's the part where Steve's getting to too about. Where's the line in the sand? What hill are you willing to die on? Do you really believe what you believe to be really real? And are you really able, willing to stand for it? I know this. I don't think, Aaron, we have any chance of winning your generation if we're not willing to suffer on any level for what we claim to believe. When the time comes when uh, people in my generation, their little uh, glass or their snowflake shatters, where are they going to turn? They're going to turn anywhere that shows authenticity. And if we've shot ourselves in the foot by not showing that, it's bad news. Bob, we'll see you next week, man. Be found faithful. All right, we'll come back. Wrap up hour number two in just a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. How about we try that whole life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness thing again? This is Steve Dace. Chances are your current phone carrier is using your money to undermine your values. And that's why Patriot Mobile was created. To give conservatives a chance to put their money where their values are, support a company that will invest your valuable resources back into your values. Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talk and texting and high-speed 4G LTE data at competitive prices, but they'll also donate up to 5% of your monthly bill to the conservative organization of your choice. That means you're going to get the same quality service, the latest and greatest phones, competitive prices, 
but for causes that you believe in. So go to PatriotMobile.com. That's PatriotMobile.com. Or call 1-800-A-PATRIOT. 1-800-A-PATRIOT. And when you decide to switch, use the promo code STEVE to get the $35 activation fee waived on up to two phones. One of my favorite quotes of all time. Charles Spurgeon. Talking about God's word. I would no more defend the Bible than I would defend a caged lion. Simply let the lion out of its cage and it will defend itself just fine. The problem is the cages are usually us. We hide our light under a bushel. We're the cage. We don't let our little light shine. And then after a while when it's barely flickering, Jesus comes to us like in Revelation 2.15 and says, Repent and return to the former things, otherwise I will come to you and I will take away your lampstand. I I'll hardly turn knew you. I hardly knew you, yes. We don't need political parties. We don't need any of these things. We just need to let our light shine. And you know what, by the way, when we do that, then these political parties and this system we have actually becomes useful. Because these things are only as good as the people that inhabit them. They're just structures, like a gun is a machine, or a car is a machine. They are only as good as the one wielding them. So is the same for our form of government, which is self-government. The same for our churches, which are led by people. They're only as good as the people which inhabit them. This is the de Tocqueville observation that Hillary Clinton keeps misquoting, and it's driving me insane. All right? That America was great because she is good. What did de Tocqueville say made America good? See, Hillary leaves that part out of the quote. He makes the observation that when I visited America's churches and I heard righteousness ablaze from her pulpits... That's when I understood America's secret. It is not in her harbors. It is not in her mercantilism. It is not in her industrialism or her military might. But it is in the righteousness that is ablaze from her pulpits. That is why America is great, because she is good, because the people are good. That's the key. Let the lion out of its cage. Don't be the cage. You're listening to Steve Dace. to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And hour number three underway here on the Salem Radio Network. This is the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up a little bit later on, 
Are we going to be a culture of true diversity or fake diversity? We'll discuss that at the bottom of the hour, but first it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It is that time of the night when our producer, Aaron, gets to set the agenda. He gets to ask the questions around here for a change. This is three questions. Aaron can ask us any three things about any three things. There is nothing that he is verboten to ask, provided he answers the same questions that he asks. So, Aaron. Thank you, Steve. And I want to let you, our listeners, know that anytime you have an idea for a three questions question, you can email me. Aaron at stevedays.com, A-A-R-O-N at stevedays.com. I get get suggestions from time to time, but I want to officially open that up for you. Question one, which of the five solas of the Reformation do you think the church needs to return to the most? As a reminder, that's by scripture alone, by faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, or glory to God alone. Um, Well... I think my answer here is going to be typecast because it, it's it's the reason I'm an evangelical. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there has to be a transcendent plumb line. That there has to be something that that holds this whole thing together and holds us accountable to something other than ourselves and our own opinions. So for me, it would be sola scriptura. It would be by scripture alone, uh, and because something something is going to sit in that. Uh, it, something's going to sit at the head of that table. Now, notice I said alone, not only. Right? If I open up the Bible, I'm not going to learn how to do triple bypass surgery. I'm not going to learn how to get those really cool lines in my yard that they are able to mow into the grass at, at Fenway Park that I just, I, I'm, I'm transfixed every time I see those. You're not praying speed, hard enough, Steve. Or what the speed limit should <laughs> be. Exactly. We're not, so it's a, meaning that what's the, what's, it's not the only thing that sits at the table of knowledge and truth in this world. But something has to sit at the head of that table to clarify all the what, what, what all the all the other seats are being occupied by. So what what is the prime what 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 is the primacy? What's the what 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 holds the high priority and the sway? And you know, I, I was reading something today about um, at LifeSite News, and I retweeted this earlier actually about. Um, Catholic, a Catholic bishop who was angry at Hillary Clinton for using Pope Francis to justify her comments about Catholicism. And I understand why he's angry, but I think his anger is misplaced. His anger ought to be at Pope Francis, who has shown more than a little leg uh, to progressives like Hillary Clinton since he assumed that office. And I think that this is where this, something has to say to human nature, No. Something must say no. You cannot go there. Thou, sh- you shall not pass. All right. And so, uh, and, and now the problem, of course, is you're gonna the, the problem you're gonna have with this is people that say people have used taking the scriptures out of context to perform all sorts of feats of 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 man's inhumanity to man. And I don't disagree with that either. But th- but that's a little bit like saying, um, you know, it, it's the gun's fault. 
no one, you had to pick that weapon up and use it for what it was not intended to use. That is not the fault of give. That doesn't mean I take away somebody's right to self-defense because you're a knuckle dragger. It means we punish knuckle draggers. So because somebody else chose to be a heretic doesn't mean it's the scripture's fault. It's the fault of the heretic. So that would be the one that I would choose, uh, Todd. But it's it's because that's it, I mean that's why I'm an evangelical. And I don't disagree with your uh, assessment of Prof. Francis there. He was out there again, I believe, this weekend with some very vague, loose comments that were about an evolving church. So your point is uh, dead on. Of course, you and I have to part ways on Sola Scriptura. Uh, The one that stuck out the most to me was glory to God uh, alone. We are, and we know this more deeply than ever, this is a church... That is thriving, and I use that ironically, on cheap grace. And that's only possible if you believe in a very, very small God, ultimately. That's basically the equivalent, as you've said, Steve, roll tide. Mm -hmm. Uh, If we believe in the true glory of God, we would not be in the position we are in on multiple levels because we would just not be able to tell ourselves the lies that we do. Our God is too mighty for those lies. When we have more time, I think... I think this would make a fascinating conversation for us to have because we're all friends. Therefore, there is permission to have it vigorously without anybody's feelings getting hurt. I think my views on this may actually surprise people. We don't have time to get into it now. But, uh, you know, for example, I, I was attacked because I didn't like Mitt Romney, and it was supposedly because he was a Mormon. I have my issues with Mormon theology. I'm happy to discuss them if you would like. But, you know, you were around me in those days, Todd. My issue with Mitt Romney was I actually agreed with his church's moral teaching. I was flummoxed by the fact I didn't think based on his record that he did. I was actually looking for him to be pretty consistent in the application of what he claimed to believe, not the other way around. Uh, and and if you were to tell, you wanted more cowbell, yes, yeah, I'm, okay, I'm I'm listening. I mean, I mean, how many times have you heard me say since this primary started? When when the Visigoths come over the wall, I'm not going to Alabama. I'm going to Utah. Yeah, right. Those people are going to fight. I may not I may not disagree. I may not agree that Joseph Smith was a prophet, but you know what? I'm going to look at the fruit on the tree, and the fruit tells me those people actually believe with they believe in something other than roll roll cougs, roll BYU, go get them on Saturday afternoon. They believe in something other than that. I'm in. My this is the same sort of an issue as I would have with Catholicism. If you were going to tell me that I'm a big adherent of tradition, how many times do you hear me quote Augustine, mm-hmm. Aquinas, so many of the great thinkers throughout Christendom? If you were going to tell me that we were going to construct this magisterium to hold the line of orthodoxy over the course of the of, of the epochs of time as humans know it, and that we would bring the hammer down on people who would dare to defy that which the church has clearly stood for since the cornerstone Christ himself was ascended into heaven, I would sign up for that. But that's not what they do. So if we're not if we're not going to use the church as a, if we're not going to use the church like that Todd then I am better off letting the scriptures speak for themselves rather than it's the old Mel Gibson this is again the evangelical in me talking but it's the old Mel Gibson line from the Patriot m- m- maybe misappropriated why why change w- trade one tyrant a thousand miles away for a thousand tyrants one mile away so if we're really going to start excommunicating people if we're going to really throw people out if we're really going to my issue with Catholicism frankly is that that it doesn't do the stuff people claim that it does, I would actually be in favor of that. What is the point of building this legacy and this bureaucracy? What is the point of constructing a Death Star, Todd, if you're not going to blow up Alderaan with it? Can you answer that question for me? That's, that, that is my complaint, actually. Hey, you clearly have been listening to my conversations at church, brother. You know we feel the same way about that. 
Absolutely. I'm also going with uh, Sola Scriptura, uh, especially in light of, of the conversations that we've had uh, throughout this primary process, but even a couple last week about the just complete uh, bastardization of some areas of Scripture in order to support a political candidate, getting back to Scripture alone and the true meaning behind the words, the original intent is imperative. Question two, what's the weirdest and most ironic story you've read this year? I'll start. Go ahead, because, listen, this is one of those things. Fish, barrel, I I just, I don't have enough bullets, but go ahead. Uh, There's one that I read over the weekend that prompted this question. A New York Times uh, media critic by the name of Mike Hale panned uh, Amazon's review, or Amazon's new TV show, Goliath the Times, or uh, Goliath, I should say. That's just the name of the TV show. He panned it. He panned the first few episodes because he watched them out of order. He said things like, the plot line didn't make sense at all. Episode 2 tried to fill in this massive backstory that uh, episode 1 didn't uh, accomplish for. I just thought it was hilarious. I'll go. Uh, cons- considering where the press is now in in full-on uh, drag Hillary across the finish line, if you'll recall, how many months ago was it where Hillary had the press actually behind ropes as she walked a line and was like be, you know moving them along like she was herding cattle you know that this is how pathetic the press is i mean they they you can be will be president obama has been worse to them than president bush ever was you know what i'm going to go for is because there's a million i could choose i'm going to go for the independence day movie where the they tried to create a female president, and on purpose they said it was to inspire people on Hillary Clinton. And she's such a terrible leader that she gets half the planet and her entire cabinet blown up by aliens. Unintended humor is always the best. You're listening to Steve Dace. Letting the lion out of its cage. The Steve Day Show. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. You see, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. It is the Nightly Buzz, where we get to the news we didn't have time to get to earlier in the show, as relayed to us from our producer, Aaron, after he's been checking out what you're talking about and what's trending on social media and at your water cooler. What's the buzz? He's got those headlines, and we instantly react with the hot takes. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Story one, Colonel Ellen Herring of the Army Reserves filed a lawsuit challenging the exclusion of women from combat roles. The Obama administration got rid of those exclusions and insisted it would not then lower standards. But as a result of not lowering standards, most women are still unable to join the infantry. As a result, now Ellen Herring demands the military lower its standards. (laughs) Despite being one of the early supporters for integrating women in the infantry, And Special Operations Forces Herring wrote in the Marine Corps Times last week that Marine Corps infantry training was, quote-unquote, unrealistic. She wrote, where do they get those standards? Who validated them? And who can actually meet them? End quote. Men and women are different, Todd. 
say the least. Uh, Jesse Jane Duff, a former Marine. And, yeah, I've read her stuff yeah, before. And, yeah. and she, I believe right now she's supporting Donald Trump, so let's not get crazy with throwing everybody um, out. But she has made incredible points on this. If you follow her on, on social media, she has done the research. The uh, breakdown of uh, women bo- women's bodies due to stress simply because they're made, uh, not because these women aren't tough and trying the best, but it, it, she just said it's it's not possible physically. Their bodies just they're not, they're not break. Made with it's the called muscle mass. science. Yeah, they're not made with the muscle mass. Women, by and large, have more body fat than we do. Yes. Why? Why? Guys, guys, guys. Because we don't have kids. That's why. They've got to, they've got to carry a whole other person. That's, that's a primary responsibility of their side of the just, species. Just remember, the Democratic Party is the party of science, okay? Just, right. You need to keep that in mind. And furthermore, if I may... Uh, father of uh, four daughters. Uh, the oldest one is is competing at a very high level in two sports. She plays against boys, beats boys all the time in those sports. But that she's twelve. That is increasingly going to change, and it's going to change fast. And she understands. We had that conversation. I said, you know, there's a time where I'm going to say, you know, you're just not going out there on the field in the in the the team sport with boys. She totally gets it. It's totally rational to her because she's had reasonable conversations with grownups who don't enjoy lying to children just so they can believe in a flat earth. One more time. Equality is not sameness. Equality is not sameness. Things can be of equal value, but that doesn't mean they have the same skills, gifts, and responsibilities. All right? Equality is not sameness. If, 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 you, if, if, you, if you steal from the till and you're the, gro- and you're the, and you're the checkout counter lady, at, at the store, and you steal from the, ch- from the till, you listen. You're going to be held equally responsible, right? So you're fired. If the manager steals from the till, he's fired too. But the problem is, since he has, he's not the same as the checkout person. But because he's the person who has the responsibility of making sure that all of the registers line up and are balanced each and every night, since he has the responsibility of managing the entire store, the impact of him being caught stealing off of the till is far greater than if it was just you, the checkout counter lady. Does that mean he is a better human being than you? Does that mean he is a he is a person that has more value than you. No, it just means he's not the same as you. Equality is not sameness. We conflate these all the time. Preach. Next story: A patriotic U.S. hacker known only as the Jester hit Russia's Ministry of Foreign Affairs on Friday with a warning: "Quote, knock it off." End quote. A giant distributed denial of service or DDoS attack on DIN Incorporated last week along the U.S. East Coast disrupted major websites. That incident served as the final straw for the jester who told Russia he was about to lose his temper. He hacked into the one of the Russian foreign affairs website and said, quote, Comrades, we interrupt regular scheduled Russian foreign affairs website programming to bring you the following important message. Knock it off. You may be able to push nations around you, but this is America. Nobody is impressed. Let's get real. I know it's you, even if by proxy, and you know it's you. Now, get to your room before I lose my temper. End quote. That is a badass nerd. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. I mean, that's, 
That is, you know, I've and I've said this to my uh, to our to our oldest daughter a couple times about uh, some of the nerdy guys in her age group. I have warned her. I said, "Hey, be careful dissing those guys now." All right, because I'm I'm reminded of when we were kids, Todd, when Northwestern was bad oh, at every I know sport. Where you're going? I've been every there. sport, I've every heard sport, it. they were terrible. And whether you were beating them by 50 at football or by 50 in basketball, their student section used to end every game with a chant. Hey, hey, it's okay. You're You're going to work work for for us us one day. Okay? So just keep that in mind. So this sounds like the kid that that, that about 10 girls are going to regret in about 5 or 10 years that they said no when he asked them to the prom because he's going to run this planet. Agreed. We are very much living in the time of the Tony Stark-esque anti-hero. You know, this guy, WikiLeaks, Snowden, you know, you don't know. This guy might just be, right after we get done praising him, he might be pilfering people's bank accounts. You don't really know. They're doing good work. You're not quite sure what all their motivations are. They're doing good work sometimes. We don't know what they're doing the rest of the time. And this is only going to, because so many other uh, cornerstones of civilization have proven fraudulent and not up to the task, these people are filling the void. There's only going to be more of this, Steve. That's true. I'm glad you pointed that out. I should, therefore, clarify what I said. I'm a, uh, Props for this particular instance. In, instance mm-hmm. Because you're right. When you, when you do let those Tony Stark sort of antiheroes out of... Uh, out of the cage. It's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So later on, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. So this is not a blanket endorsement. I just approve of this particular message. Well, we told you it was coming, and earlier tonight it came. Uh, The Trump campaign kicked off a show that will air on the candidate's Facebook page every night at 6.30 Eastern Time via Facebook Live from the campaign war room at Trump Tower. (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, you know, I've got a lot of people have emailed me the last few weeks. Steve, you were right about this. I, this this didn't require any Nostradamus level of no. foresight to have predicted this all along. I do think, though, because of what has happened to his brand with women, I know we argued about this a couple weeks ago on the Dace Group, but you're not getting anybody other than Donnie Doom Prepper, uh, Chico's Bail Bonds, and Lucky's Check Cashing Joint buying ads on an over-the-air network with what he has said about women. So I think what you're likely looking at is a subscription-based model launching in 12 to 16 months for 10 bucks a month. And if they can get a half million people to sign up, then I think he'll stay on this alt-right path. And if he can't, then I think within 24 months, he'll be back to praising Hillary Clinton again, Todd. I think the Trump war room is going to look like those two old guys on the Muppets who sit in the balcony. (laughs) You're listening to Steve Dace. Liberty has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. Here on the Salem Radio Network. Recent piece over at the stream. Prompting a question that uh, these are the these are the sorts of cultural issues that we are going to have to wrestle with 
as it becomes increasingly obvious that both major political parties simply just either because um, the nation they represent lacks the character or they themselves are too far gone are are just going to have uh, an increasingly difficult time moving forward dealing with the existential issues that face us as a people because politics flows downstream from culture. And and so the the culture, it's always about the culture, stupid, to paraphrase uh, the Clinton campaign from uh, 1992. It is about the culture. And, and one of the issues we are wrestling with in our culture is what is real diversity? What is the term? That is uh, what is discussed in this piece over at the stream, the headline, True Diversity Versus Fake Diversity. Which will America choose? Sean McDowell wrote this piece. He is an apologetics professor at Biola University. We want to welcome him to the show tonight. And uh, Sean, my name is Steve Dace. How are you? Steve, thanks for having me on. I'm doing great. By the way, by the way Sean, I want you to know I'm a huge fan of your dad's. And... Um, He's one of the couple of people I want to be like when I grow up. So please, please pass that along to him. I'm a huge fan. Well, that's fantastic. Then we have that in common. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Uh, it, it, I'm always, susp- you know, it's always suspicious when you see leaders, and it's not always the case. But one of the things I do, for example, when I vet political candidates that seek my support, is I like to know where are the family members at because nobody knows the real person more than that person does. Right. The people around them. Now, that's not always the case. I mean, sometimes uh, great men, um, not you know, their, their own family members go go astray. And you think of a couple of Ronald Reagan's children. You think of Francis uh, Schaefer, uh, his son, for example. But by and large, Sean, what I have found is, uh, you know, it's never a good sign or it's usually not a good sign if someone who purports to be a leader on principle uh, doesn't doesn't inspire similar you know uh, feelings within the, the the family members who have seen him at his best and his worst when the, when you know the rest of us aren't looking. Well, I think that's definitely true, and especially in the case of my dad, because he's written on apologetics and truth issues, defending the Bible, the scriptures, but also a lot of family issues. So he's been outspoken on the importance of the family and the role of fathers. And that's why when we do events and writing and speaking together, people not only hear what we say, but just see our love and respect for each other. And that in itself, I really think, speaks volumes in a culture that just doesn't always have that example to to follow. Well, you look at examples for the culture to follow, and, you know, I just actually did a sermon at uh, the, the local church our family attends here in Iowa, and it was uh, it was about Judges 12. Uh, and 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 how cultural bitterness leads to civil unrest. How how tribal rivalries within uh, the twelve tribes of Israel uh, led to unrest via the culture at large. And and I, I parlayed that into what we are seeing, for example, in this election, where we could see, according to some surveys, you could see uh, Donald Trump win white men by 30, 40, 50 points. On the other hand, you could see Hillary Clinton win all other uh, men, non-white men, by similar, if not larger, margins. And that we see this lack of, uh, of, of diversity, not just in the American general population. Uh, we see really a balkanization, a segregation, but we see the same thing even in our churches. That maybe our churches on Sunday morning are some of the most segregated places in America. And so because we don't model what, what real diversity is, or true diversity, as you put it, Sean, in our churches, the culture is falling for the canard of fake diversity, or, or do you disagree? 
No, I, I do think you're right about that. And, you know, as Christians, we're held to a higher standard. In fact, ultimate diversity is found in the character of God, one God, three persons. And all human beings are made with value and with dignity and worth. And we should celebrate diversity. It's wonderful that we have people of different races and ages and socioeconomic statuses and where we live. I mean, this is a wonderful thing that makes humanity distinct. But the problem is, as we look in our culture today, people are driving further and further apart. And rather than really being in conversation and listening to people who see the world differently, engaging their ideas, seeing if they're right and possibly if they're wrong, we demonize other people. It's descended into name-calling. And it really is unfortunate. As Christians, we just have to live by a higher standard than treating people that way. We'll have more with Sean McDowell right after this. You're listening to Steve Dace. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Steve Day Show. Back here on the Steve Day Show on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review with apologist Sean McDowell, talking about true diversity versus fake diversity. So so how do we do that? Let's start by defining terms. What is true diversity? What is fake diversity? Yeah, the purpose of, of the article on diversity was my father and I wrote a book called The Beauty of Intolerance. And we talked about how sometimes intolerance is actually a beautiful thing when properly understood and properly defined. But the problem is we live in a time where all these words, Steve, that you and I have taken for granted that have been the basis mm-hmm. of Western culture for, you know, decades, really centuries, words like tolerance and respect and dignity now mean very different things than they used to mean. So diversity used to mean that in our culture, it's a positive thing that we have people who see the world differently and disagree. And I can respect you, recognize you see the world differently. In fact, I'll go in the Army and fight for your right to hold a different view than my own. That diversity actually brings us together. And the highest compliment I could give you is to try to persuade you that you're wrong with good reasons. But that's not really what diversity means anymore. Essentially, now diversity means, at least from the cultural elite uh, who are gaining increasing power in our society, diversity means we will silence anybody who doesn't adopt the progressive agenda. So if you embrace conservative views politically or in particular on sexual issues, you are to be silenced and you don't even deserve a seat at the table. So that's a very different idea of diversity that has just sad implications, I think devastating implications for the future of our country. One of the things you point out in this piece in the stream 
Uh, and and with something I am often critical for those of us who have orthodox Christian views, um, or, or a or maybe a better term a phrase might be a biblical worldview. Uh, those of us who are conservative politically is we have this tendency to think we still live in 1968, 1989, and we're trying to rally silent majorities that, that really don't exist anymore, uh, rather than trying to woo people and get them to understand where we're coming from. And so one of the things I liked about this piece, Sean, is, is you point out a couple of cases where folks with our viewpoint, with our worldview, went as high as the president of these United States himself, Barack Obama, to come now and reason together. And you describe some of those uh, conversations and what happened. Can you share that with our audience a little bit? Yeah, if you go back to when President Obama first came into office in his inaugural address at the benediction, he invited a beloved pastor from Saddleback in Southern California, Rick Warren, to give the inaugural prayer. And there was huge outcry against this because Rick Warren, as an evangelical pastor, had spoken up uh, on issues of Prop 8 and defended natural marriage. Some leftists and some secularists and activists cried out and said, this is not diversity, this is not inclusion, he should not be able to speak. Well, the Obama administration, Kathleen Douglas, who spoke for him, spoke out and said, wait a minute, the president totally disagrees with him but believes he deserves a seat at the table and has the right to offer this prayer. This is going to be the most inclusive, open inauguration in American history. So they recognize we could disagree firmly on important issues, but still um, he gets the chance to speak. Fast forward to 2012. In his second inaugural address, this time uh, Obama invites Lou Giglio. Well, there was huge outcry at this point. Lou Giglio graciously withdraws his name, and the Obama administration lets him actually go. Now, what happened is they should have spoken up in the name of diversity, but instead they let him pull out his nomination, and they say, ironically, in a piece in Christianity Today, Melissa Steffen writes that the Obama administration says, in the name of diversity and inclusion, we were not aware because the speech came that Giglio had given in the 90s on a basic classical defense of biblical sexuality. That's why all the outcry came from. And the Obama administration said, we're not aware of this, and in the name of diversity, we're pulling out his name from speaking. And I read that, and I thought, are you kidding me? In four years, diversity goes from meaning giving somebody a seat at the table who sees the world differently Now, in 2012, and four years later, Steve, I think diversity now means let's go find people who hold these conservative views wherever we can and use our power to silence them. That's how much diversity has changed in just the past eight to ten years. Sean, last question for you, and let's talk, let's apply this to apologetics. Something that I have written about in several columns, I've spoken about this several places across the country that I think when we don't understand what progressivism is. I think most believers believe, and pastors see progressivism as a political ideology. I believe it is the heresy of this age. It is the Mar- Mar- it's the Marcion, it's the Arianism, it's the Pelagianism, it's the heresy of this age. It has its own systematic theology, uh, that it, that it has its own ecclesiology with the state taking the place of church and government taking the place of God. And that what we're really talking about is something that, that wants to have its own moral ethos and compete for the hearts and minds of the culture to turn them away from a biblical worldview. 
Your thoughts on that? I think that's right, Steve. I agree. I think at the heart of progressive is essentially a pagan worldview. In fact, not too different in some ways from the belief system that we saw in the first few centuries of Rome, where the church grew out of. I think there's an entire cosmological shift, Mm -hmm. what it means to be human, what it means to be in a relationship, what we understand by freedom. And I think with this, there's a no-hold-barred agenda that's happening here. And I'm not this sky-is-falling, you know, kind of approach, but there are real signs saying this worldview is not only trying to change our culture, but change the Church from the inside out. And it is a worldview that is directly in conflict with a Christian worldview taught in the Old Testament, taught by Paul, and taught by Jesus. Sean McDowell, check out his article at the stream, True Diversity versus Fake Diversity. That's stream.org. You can also check out his blog at Sean McDowell, Sean, S-E-A-N, SeanMcDowell.org. Sean, uh, appreciate you being our guest tonight. God bless you. Thank you. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Listening to Steve Dace. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Steve Day Show. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Wrapping it up here on a Monday, we talked about some canards being uh, thrown out there on polls. We looked at some of the news from over the weekend, which included one of my favorite stories of this cycle. Members of the Trump campaign parting at a strip club with the biased media, including... Members of NBC News, which Trump has said is trying to destroy his campaign prior to the last debate. That's the Trump war room. <laughs> We've, uh, we had Bob Vanderplatz on last hour. We just, we just dis- discussed true diversity via, vis a vis fake diversity. So, talked about a lot of different topics tonight. Todd, what'd you learn here during the conversation this evening? I learned that Aaron's question about the five solas and your follow-up that you know we could talk about that all night long and perhaps should have put in the past. In my mind, and I haven't read my brain totally around it, but I think the future of all shows like this have to develop more time to things like that. It is Red Meat 101 for rebuilding a civilization to find to have a way, just like you said, it has to be entertaining, obviously. You sure. know, it can't be this dry screed. But I, I think we can do it, and I think we really don't have any choice. I think it would make for a fascinating show. Sometime after this election is over, and we're in, and, and the last thing we're going to want to talk about, frankly, is Hillary's transition team. Okay, and it's uh, and it's the Christmas season, and and that's that might we should maybe do an entire show where we just do a theological roundtable, just to fun. do something different. Yeah, I'd be down for that. Why not? Maybe and maybe maybe we should consider doing something like that in December, maybe sometime. 
Aaron, what'd you uh, learn? I, I learned tonight, and um, I mean, earlier today, I was looking at my original uh, voter ID card that I got when I was like 17 or 18 um, in, in southern, southern Iowa, and um, and uh, I, I originally registered as no party affiliation, and uh, getting ready to continue on that path today. And tonight's show, talking about all of these news stories, again... Um, and, and hitting on every now and then uh, just the direction of the Republican Party or lack thereof after this election, uh, it, it makes me feel comfortable with, and I don't want to speak for you, but it makes me feel comfortable with where I am, not being affiliated with, with any party for that ma- uh, matter, just at least right now at this moment in time. You know, I, I feel good about that. And because I'm a millennial, feelings matter a lot to me. <laughs> Well said. You know, I'm, a lot of people want to talk. Is it about revitalizing the Republican Party? Is it about building a third party? I'm, I'm, I'm fine having any of those conversations. Maybe it's something even simpler. Maybe we're all just better off as conservatives being independents, being some swing vote that yeah. people feel like they have to vie for That's to create point. competition. Maybe it, maybe it's that simple, too. That's maybe another roundtable show we should do sometime in the future. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace.